I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing the recent disputes in the South China Sea and how the Philippines views Chinese behavior in the region and beyond. Here to discuss this and more is July Amador, Executive Director of the Philippine American Educational Foundation. Previously, he was a Deputy Director General of the Foreign Service Institute from 2014 to 2017. During his time at the Institute, he provided policy analysis and strategic advice on ASEAN, Southeast Asian security, and international relations, and foreign policy to several offices in the Department of Foreign Affairs. July, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Bonnie, for having me on your podcast. July, let's start with the South China Sea. From your perspective, how does the Philippines view the current situation and Chinese behavior in the region? My view is that the situation has been the same in the sense that China is doing what it's doing, we have to react to what it is doing. I don't think there's any significant change in Chinese behavior except that with the attempts of the Philippines to expose this and uh, show the world what China is doing, it drives China to present its views more broadly or attempt to influence how the world sees what it is doing. But I don't think there is any significant change in Chinese behavior. It is pressing its claims in the South China Sea. It is doing what it can to pressure the Philippines and the like. So this has been going on, and it's only now that people are actually seeing what China is doing. Thank you, July. Could you expand a little on what exactly is China doing in the South China Sea that is most concerning to the Philippines? What is China doing differently now, both in terms of activities, but also how it's casting its behavior? So we do have two areas of tension, right? We have the second Thomas Shoal, what we call in the Philippines, the Yungin Shoal. And the incidents here uh, and the crisis situation here refers to China's attempts to block uh, our resupply mission to our troops stationed in the Sierra Madre. So... This creates a lot of problems because these are assertive, aggressive approaches uh, that attempts to deter the Philippines from doing what it needs to do, which is to resupply its troops. And it's illegal precisely because Ayungin Shoal is part of the Philippines' exclusive economic zones and the arbitral tribunal has already ruled that the Philippines has sovereign rights over Ayungin Shoal or Second Thomas Shoal, meaning it's the only country allowed under international law to conduct activities in the Second Thomas Shoal. The Scarborough Shoal area, meanwhile, is a territorial dispute with the Philippines and China you know, disagreeing on who owns the Scarborough Shoal. But the arbitral tribunal did rule that the maritime area around the Scarborough Shoal is common is traditional fishing ground for Chinese, Filipinos, and Vietnamese fisher folks. But China has been preventing Filipino fisher folks from entering into the lagoon of the Scarborough Shoal, thereby preventing them from actually fishing and traditional fishing grounds uh, that their ancestors have been uh, using for centuries. So these are the two areas where incidents are happening uh, in the South China Sea between the Philippines and China. 
In these two locations, we're seeing a range of aggressive Chinese activity. There has been media reporting on Chinese boats colliding with Philippine vessels to block resupply. There's also been reporting of Chinese use of water cannons against Philippine vessels. Are there other types of significant PRC behavior that we should be paying attention to? So in in the Scarborough Shoal, for example, there was that incident where our fisheries and aquatic resources, which is in charge of monitoring uh, fisheries-related violations, and the Philippine Coast Guard saw that you know China was blocking the area, the maritime, the marine area, by using nets, uh, thereby preventing Filipino fisher folks from fishing the area. That has been a an action that increases the tensions because the arbitral tribunal has already ruled that the Filipinos have the right to fish in the area. Um, so what makes it more complicated is that generally, you know, these areas are also where ships can transit through. Any potential incidents there could really create tensions between countries. The difference between what China does and what other countries does is that China has the ability and the resources to keep pressing countries such as the Philippines in, uh, in the South China Sea to, to have a, a staying power in the area that no other country has. So that makes it problematic precisely because it can do these things which we cannot do, right? So it can swarm the area with its maritime militia and at the same time, short of any kinetic actions, China is actually pressuring countries such as the Philippines through harassment of our resupply and so on. So these, I think, are very problematic because you can see that China is not being deterred even by the exposure of its activities. So in that sense, the question is how long can countries such as the Philippines last in the case of such obvious drive to pressure us to buckle down or to submit to Chinese behavior. And this kind of pressure short of any kinetic action is actually something that we that countries need to look into because it gives China an advantage without any outright attacks or or such, it is able to maintain a very assertive stance in the area. So how do we respond to that? Do we have the resources to maintain ourselves in the area and to respond to these threats? These, I think, are some of the most problematic aspects of uh, PRC activities in the region because it lays bare uh, the difference in how the Philippines and China conduct their activities in the South China Sea. So how does the Philippines respond to China? Are there standard operating procedures for dealing with China's persistent presence and activities? What the Philippines is doing, I think, is one, it is being consistent in asserting its rights, including, among others, the right to resupply the ship in the Yungin Shoal, precisely because, one, under international law, the Philippines has sovereign rights over the area. So by continuing to do what it needs to do, the Philippines is asserting itself, it's asserting its rights, and that I think is very important because that addresses the diplomatic and the international legal aspect of it. The second is that uh, by exposing Chinese activities, then the Philippines is able to tell everyone that, look, we are here to assert our rights, but China is preventing us from doing what we need to do, particularly to resupply our troops in the Yungin Shoal. And the third is that then it provides an opportunity for the Philippines to tell the international community that, hey, we are here 
we are asserting our rights under international law and it allows these countries to help the Philippines, to support the Philippines by looking at the behavior of both countries and looking at the fact that the Philippines is the one under international law that has legal license doing what it needs to do. And it provides these opportunities for collective action against Chinese coercive behavior. You mentioned that the Philippines does not want to be viewed as responsible for escalating dynamics. What does that mean in terms of what your frontline forces are authorized to do? Are there guidelines that say the Philippines cannot engage in certain types of activities because they might lead to significant escalation by China? Or is there a general awareness that the Philippines needs to be more restrained when it comes to responding to China? My sense is that the, the instructions to the maritime law enforcement agencies such as the Coast Guard and to our military such as the Navy is that we, the Philippines should do what it should do, resupply without fear of breaking any international law because that I think is important to the Philippines to maintain its moral high ground that because Ayungin Shoal is part of the Philippines' exclusive economic zones and where it has sovereign rights, then it can do what it needs to do, but it has to be in compliance with international law. So I think that's important to emphasize. But I think the second is that definitely the Coast Guard and the Navy won't be pressured to do anything radical such as assertive or aggressive actions against Chinese vessels. They are, I think, showing that they are true professionals by sticking to the rules of engagement, not violating international norms such as collision regulations and all that. So this shows the difference that in terms of seamanship or being professional in the area, whether it's the military or the Coast Guard, I think the Philippines has shown that its activities are very much in compliance with international rules and norms in the area. So I think this is where things stand. The Philippines won't be the one violating the law. It only needs to resupply and has done its best without doing any other unnecessary behavior. You mentioned a key component of the Philippine response to China is to expose Chinese activities publicly, including capturing incidences of aggressive Chinese activity on camera or on video. Could you talk a bit about how extensive this effort is, particularly as you're trying to showcase and share this information with the international community? I think it's managed transparency that the Philippines is doing in the sense that it exposes Chinese behavior and I think only releases these videos once verified to ensure that when diplomatic protests are done, the Philippines is able to prove to anyone that there were indeed violations and that is why the Philippines is protesting. Because I think the point of the exposure or, or the or exposing these aggressive activities is that there must be action and on the part of the Philippines, that's where the diplomatic protest comes, comes in as official records to tell China and to tell the world that we are protesting these actions precisely because they are illegal. So those two, I think, are linked. But I would assume that there were a lot more because these resupply missions continue, right? They are not one-time thing. They are happening every month. So I think we have not seen everything. So that, that means that the Philippines is quite careful also not to just show everything, uh, but also managing expectations in terms of the ability to respond to the provocations that are being done in the South China Sea. That's how I see it. I see. So you're saying that even though we are seeing more exposure of Chinese activities, 
What is out in the public is only a small proportion of the problematic encounters that the Philippines is actually having with the Chinese. And the reason there hasn't been full exposure is because that might actually put both sides in an awkward situation. On one hand, it highlights how much more assertive China actually is in the region. And on the other hand, it might showcase that the Philippines government does not have the necessary resources to respond to every single case of what you view as Chinese intrusions into your claimed territories. Is that a correct interpretation? I think it is because I see it as the, as the fact that uh, the Philippines is not exposing everything that China does is the Philippines' good faith actions towards China that it doesn't want the South China Sea to be the be-all and end-all of its foreign relations when it comes to China. That's one. And the second, I think, is that the fact that the Philippines manages the release of this uh, information is because it wants to be able to assert that when it uh, files this diplomatic protest or when it does its activities to assert its rights, it does so in a non-provocative manner. So I think it's very important to emphasize these uh, two things. Um, And also because we don't want to desensitize everyone Right. I mean, constant exposure would not be helpful if at the end of the day they do not don't lead to any meaningful action. So I think this is where the Philippines is trying to balance uh, exposing Chinese aggressive behavior, but at the same time trying also to make sure that when it exposes China's behavior, it does lead to activities such as filing diplomatic protests. Thank you. I do also want to discuss the broader Philippines-China relationship, because as you mentioned, South China Sea is only one issue between the two countries. How does the broader relationship, including the Philippines' robust trade and economic relationship with China, feature into, if any, the Philippines' response in the South China Sea? I'm glad you asked that question because I think it's important to emphasize that the Philippines is trying its best to do what China wanted to do in the first place in a few years back. Uh, China was always saying that we should be able to compartmentalize our relations and the South China Sea should not be everything. Now that the Philippines is the one telling China that the South China Sea should not be the end all and be all of everything, it's now China that's not trying to do this. It's basically China is not doing what it wanted the Philippines to do before. So that's how I see it, because the Philippines does want improved relations with China. If you remember, China was among the first countries that uh, President Marcos visited. I think he showed China good faith in the first year of his administration, but you could also see that Chinese did not take him seriously. The package that they offered him uh, when he visited China was not as significant as some of us were expecting. So that really tells you that the Chinese, I think, were wary and did not accept the good faith approach that uh, President Marcos had. So this leads us to a situation right now where other aspects, we're sort of slowing down in terms of our relationship with China. But my reading is that it, it is not what the Philippines wants. I think if the Philippines has its way, it wants to improve relations with China in all other areas without sacrificing our national interest in the South China Sea. In addition to China not providing the Philippines what you thought that they would provide, are there any cases of China increasing its use of economic or other coercion against Manila when there are heightened tensions in the South China Sea? 
That's a good question because I'm also looking at the way that China, for example, is, re is reacting to some of its BRI initiatives in the Philippines. You've seen in the news, right, some reports about the Philippines exiting BRI. And I think the reading is not that the Philippines is exiting BRI. It's, I think, the proper reading is that China is actually not interested in <laughs> implementing these projects because it's a two-way street. Now, the Philippines is under economic tremendous economic pressure right now. It doesn't really want to be choosy about the source of its uh, financing. So in the case of some of these Mindanao projects, for example, if you look at some of these projects, they're actually, I mean, they're loans. So China will get paid regardless if the, if the project has been implemented. But the reason why, for example, the Department of Transportation is now looking for other funders is because I think the news report said that they did not receive any feedback from China on the proposals to fund this project. So that's why they're looking for other sources of financing. So it seems that China is closing some of these doors, not because the Philippines wants it to, but because China it's China's decision to close off the tap, you know, the, the financing sources to the Philippines. So... The Philippines has no choice then but to look for other partners. But given, I think, the opportunity, I don't think the Philippines will say no if China says it wants to invest in certain high-end projects, infrastructure projects in the Philippines. When did this change on China's position on BI start occurring? Was this timed at all with the recent rise in tensions in the South China Sea? I think this has been a source of frustration, well, not necessarily just on just one side. Remember that China's experience in terms of official development assistance is relatively new, unlike, for example, Japan and the World Bank and so on. So that, I think, explains partly why disbursements of funds can be quite slow or approval of funding sources from China can be quite slow. So it's not, I think, directly related to what's happening in the South China Sea, except that because this has been going on for some time now, the MOUs have been agreed upon during the Duterte administration. Feasibility studies have been done. But the question is, why weren't the funds released even during the, for the early parts of the Marcos administration when things were not that dramatic yet? So I don't want to link this directly to the South China Sea, but the recent tensions as well, maybe some other areas of decision-making in China would like to link the two. But... This has been going on for some time now with little explanation on why China has been hesitant to release funding for, the, for these projects. Moving beyond BRI, are you seeing changes in either side's willingness to engage with the other, either diplomatically or economically? How has the engagement picture changed between the Philippines and China in the past year or two? I think the Philippines wants to continue engaging China. I think meetings have not stopped whether it's with the diplomatic or economic front. Chinese engagement has gone local as well, so one can only assume that there are a lot of things going on that we don't see at the national level. I've seen recent news about China being potential or one of the bigger markets for durian, for example, coming from Mindanao. So I think overall, both sides are still willing to make things work in other areas. It's in the South China Sea where I think there would be hardening of stances. But at the same time, people want to be pragmatic, that if there are areas where both countries can work without sacrificing national interest, then I think both sides are willing to do it.
Are there any existing communication channels between the Philippines military or Coast Guard with your Chinese counterparts? Are these channels used to deal with unsafe incidences at sea? I do believe that because of the situation right now, both countries are unwilling to lower the kind in terms of the areas or the mechanisms to be used. Both sides, I think, still want to use the BCM, the bilateral mechanism for uh, addressing some of these issues. I don't see the Coast Guard to Coast Guard Avenue or the military to military talks as going to work or going to be sanctioned on the Philippine end precisely because there are political and diplomatic aspects of it that can't be left alone at the left to the operational levels. And I think one note, uh, during some of these incidents, I think the Foreign Affairs Secretary mentioned that one problem actually is that when they used the hotline, it wasn't working, <laughs> which tells a lot about why some of these mechanisms, I think, needs to be reviewed as to see how they're working or if they're working at all. So this, I think, is important because if both sides are saying that they want to make it work, then what are the mechanisms? Is it the bilateral consultation mechanism or elsewhere? Because if the hotline is not working, it tells a lot about trust and how the mechanisms are going to work to address crises and potential tensions. July, would you mind spelling out for our listeners what the BCM is? So the BCM is the bilateral consultation mechanism, bilateral consultative mechanism, which has been going on, uh, which has been a mechanism for the past years used by China and the Philippines to address some of these issues. They are led by foreign ministries with various ministries, including defense, national security, the military, the Coast Guard represented in these mechanisms. On the Philippine side, it's always headed by one of the senior DFA undersecretaries. So that tells you how the approach is. It's a whole-of-government approach and institutional approaches to address these tensions. And how frequently does the BCM meet? It's supposed to meet yearly, precisely because the BCM has been the preferred mechanism to address issues between the two countries. And you had also mentioned a hotline and that when the Philippines tries to use the hotline to call China, they often don't pick up the phone. What is this hotline? Is this separate from the BCM? So it is a separate mechanism which was agreed upon by both countries so that when there's a response, uh, when there's a crisis situation, uh, both sides can easily, should in theory, should easily be able to reach each other. But it seems that in some of these incidents, that didn't work. And where is this hotline situated? Is it between the foreign ministries or between the ministries of defense? That I'm not sure. But uh, in the news, for example, that I read, it was the Foreign Affairs Secretary who mentioned this hotline. Thank you for spelling out how both the bilateral consultation mechanism as well as the hotline works. So as you're looking at what's happening around Scarborough Shoal, 2nd Thomas Shoal, do you see there is a risk that these recent tensions could spiral into a larger crisis between the Philippines and China? Just stepping back a little bit, um, the hotline was actually one of the agreements signed during the visit of President Marcos to China in January of this year. And I wanted to highlight that precisely because it tells us that China agreed to this hotline really as a mechanism to avoid miscalculation and provide opportunities for communication should crisis happen. This was signed 
during the state visit of President Marcos to China in January of 2023. That, I think, is important to emphasize precisely because then it leads to this question about what could escalate, right? What could cause escalations in this area? And, and part of it is really miscommunication or the lack of communication over intent. And the problem is that even though the Philippines has been trying to underplay its activities, right? Even its resupply, it uses this uh, boat, the Unaiza May, which is not even owned by the Philippine Navy, but basically contracted, uh, contracted vessel. So the Philippines is doing what it can to downplay the situation. But if China, Chinese activities seem to look like it's basically hunting down uh, Philippine vessels that are on a resupply, what does it tell everyone? What does it tell people who observe the situation about Chinese intent over our activities in the South China Sea? So that, I think, is a question worth pondering over. It seems like, July, what you're suggesting is that even though the Philippines is wary of escalating on your end, you don't see the same type of restraint on the Chinese side. Yes, because the Philippines, I think, wants to be able to still work with China. I think the Philippines has a myriad of uh, problems in economic and political sectors and doesn't want a diplomatic crisis. But unfortunately, the Chinese do not, do not seem, the PRC doesn't seem to want to return the favor. It continues to aggressively harass our vessels. It continues to do all of these actions that violate international norms. It continues with its coercive activities. So that creates problems for the Philippines on how to deal with the China that is recalcitrant and doesn't want to use reason in terms of how it uh, moves in the South China Sea. I also want to follow up on an earlier point you made. You mentioned that more transparency on what China is doing can also help the Philippines obtain international support and empower collective action. Are you seeing that now? Are there more cooperation or other forms of collective action between, for example, the Philippines, Vietnam, or other South China Sea dispute claimants against China? Well, in terms of the claimants, I don't see that happening. But the Philippines has been getting a lot of support from countries such as Japan, Australia, Canada, the UK, the European Union, for example, sending strong messages as well as providing assistance in in different forms, whether financial offers or to develop to help develop our maritime domain awareness and so on. In fact, for example, we have South Korea sending out statements in support of the Philippines by citing UN, uh, the UN uh, Convention on the Law of the Sea, which is surprising because this is only, I think this is, this year is the only time that South Korea started making statements on the South China Sea. So that tells you that the Philippines is not alone. Many countries are seeing that continued attacks against UNCLOS does not help the international order or the international system. So we're seeing that, but we are not seeing the same level of action when it comes to the claimant states. And I think it's precisely because they have different ways of approaching or being pressured by China. Great. Thank you. I do want to spend a little bit of time looking at what's happening beyond the South China Sea. Can you share with our listeners how you or folks in the Philippines view the situation in the Taiwan Strait? And particularly, what does that mean for the Philippines? Would the Philippines be willing to be involved in a crisis or conflict that might emerge in the Taiwan Strait? 
I think the Philippines is always wary of, act- of actions or tensions in areas where there are a lot of Filipinos. And Taiwan is an area where you do have a lot of uh, overseas Filipinos, around 150,000 or so. Its proximity to the Philippines is also something that needs to be considered. It's so near the Philippines, for example, that in Batanes, they, you know, they're basically able to pick up Taiwanese cell phone <laughs> signals. So, so that tells you that proximity-wise, the Philippines and Taiwan are close. And so the geography, uh, geopolitical tensions there really, I think, are being considered by the Philippines. But at the same time, we have to look at it in terms of the overall situation where our tensions in the South China Sea, I think, are more urgent, given what China is doing, as opposed to what's happening in between China and Taiwan, which is a bit more, right now, more of a diplomatic tussle. July, from your perspective, is there a concern that crises or tensions in the Taiwan Strait could be linked to tensions in the South China Sea and vice versa? The problem with these tensions is that at some point they just become linked by the sheer by sheer impact of the events. So if, if something happens in the Taiwan Straits, that will definitely, I think, activate or spill over into the South China Sea. So in, in the same way that if something happens in the South China Sea, that can be a conflagration in other areas because we're not talking here about land uh, land borders, right? We're talking about a very fluid area. So I think that's the danger of uh, the situations in the South China Sea and uh, the Taiwan that they could easily be linked together. And given that the Philippines could be drawn into a conflict, either willingly or inadvertently, do you think that there is appetite to support the U.S. operating from the Philippines in a conflict for the defense of Taiwan? That uh, we have to think about because of the proximity issue and the numbers issue in terms of Filipinos there. And the fact that you have Southeast Asian countries also having a lot of citizens in Taiwan and the Philippines is the most logical area for potential evacuation, for example, of refugees, if that happens, then the Philippines has to think about how to respond to potential Taiwan crisis. But in a survey that we did uh, last year, and we are still we are going to do the survey again this year, even in the eyes of the national security community, the Taiwan crisis is not that high in terms of prioritization. It leaves us with questions on what would happen should the U.S. ask for assistance in an event of a Taiwan crisis. And I think the Philippines has shown to the U.S. and to everyone that in many times that the Philippines has called on the U.S., the Philippines has responded to these calls positively. We have been in U.S. conflicts everywhere from Afghanistan to Vietnam to Korea. I don't see why it would be different this time. But at the same time, I think there's now awareness in the Philippines that Philippine issues cannot be sidelined because of other issues in other areas. And I'm talking about the fact that, you know, South China Sea is still a priority or still top priority for our security sector. Let's unpack that a little more. You mentioned that there is concern that the Philippines should not be sidelined for other priorities. So is there a sense in the Philippines that the United States is not giving Manila enough attention? Obviously, there's been quite a bit of change in the past couple of months, but sometimes these sentiments or concerns are longer lasting and recent U.S. actions may not necessarily fully address some of the concerns that we might be seeing in the region. 
I, I think the trust in the U.S. diplomatically is quite high. A recent surveys have shown that the U.S. is still a preferred partner of choice. And I do think that we are still playing catch-up, right, with what happened in Scarborough in terms of trust. So we're still rebuilding the trust. Um, I think uh, both sides have shown candor and willingness to not move past, but work through these issues to ensure that should potential crisis occur, both sides are on the same page. But that is still, I think, a work in progress. I think the Philippines doesn't want to be seen as a second-tier issue when it comes to the Indo-Pacific, particularly on in this first island chain. So that has to be considered as well when we're talking about Taiwan, the U.S., and the role of the Philippines in potential conflicts. Of course. Thank you. Let me try to wrap things up in the interest of time. Looking forward in the next six months to a year, what are you most concerned of in terms of what might happen between the Philippines and China? What worries me is that China's inability to reflect on its actions in the South China Sea continues to shape the way that it behaves. Uh, What I mean by this is that we should expect China to be more aggressive. And this is what I emphasize when I comment on the transparency initiatives that we have to be also careful because China also looks at the way that the Philippines and its partners and allies reacts. And if Chinese assertiveness and aggression does not get any appropriate response, how would China read that? China would probably read that as, well, they're not reacting, they're not doing anything to our aggressive behavior, so maybe we should just continue. So this is, again, the sort of garbage strategy, right, uh, that they've been doing, peeling layers of uh, actions uh, short of any kinetic conflict and seeing if there's any adverse reaction. And if they don't see any adverse reaction, that, I think, shapes the way that they think. And that would potentially be dangerous uh, for everyone. Um, So that is what I'm worried about. Because try as the Philippines might uh, to stay very professional, the Chinese might, the PRC might really just do something so blatant that it could cause severe reaction from the Philippines and its partners and allies. And given this situation that you just laid out, what do you need from the United States and the international community at large? I think, first of all, the Philippines has to look into its own capabilities and capacity and to really look, determine what end state it would like to see in the South China Sea. And then actually devote resources to, its, uh, to protect its interests in the area. Because I think the international community also has to see that the Philippines is serious in protecting its national interests. Whether it's through actually reclaiming a union shoal and uh, ensuring a better area of operation or base of operation for our marine station there, investing in our own capabilities, including more vessels and other equipment for the Philippine Navy and the Philippine Coast Guard. I think these are important. Then we can look at the international community and say, we can only do so much, please come in to assist us. And then you can see the willingness of Japan, for example, to provide security assistance and through ODA, official development assistance, also help develop our capacity, our Coast Guard's capacity and capabilities. EDCA was a choice of the Philippines in terms of 
ensuring that its interests are protected by engaging its ally. So I think this is where the Philippines has to ensure that everyone sees that it is doing its best to protect its interests and where its partners and ally uh, in the international community can come in. The diplomatic and uh, support is crucial to the Philippines, but at the same time, material support, I think, should be also looked at by these countries. Great. Well, thank you very much, July, for discussing with us not only the state of Philippines' relations with China, what's happening in the South China Sea, but also how Manila views the situation in the Taiwan Strait. Thank you again. You're welcome. And I really had, uh, had the pleasure of joining you this evening. Um, so thank you so much for the invitation to be part of this podcast.